Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am your host, Carmen LeBerge. Uh, we have so, so many opportunities in the culture today to talk about um, what's in the headlines and then what's behind the headlines or beneath the headlines. And so I thought that uh, here at the start of today, uh, uh, start of this hour today, I'd do something a little bit different. I would, I would say, let's turn to the headlines on the sports page. And you say, pfft. There's not a lot of headlines on the sports page today. Well, there's some. There's some. Here is uh, today's sports headline. The NCAA is planning to hold the entire men's March Madness tournament in a single city. They're doing that with the hope of mitigating COVID risks, um, and they are in talks with Indianapolis. That's being reported today in the Indianapolis Star. Here's another headline. You might have missed this one. Um, I picked it up from uh, from the New York Times uh, on November the 7th. 21-year-old Chris Nisik, I don't know, I might be mispronouncing his name, N-I-K-I-C, Nikik, Nikik, all right, Chris Nikik, uh, became the first person with Down syndrome to finish the Ironman triathlon. Uh, And so you you think about people who are living with the sort of odds stacked against them, and Chris might have been viewed as one of those guys. He had an open-heart surgery when he was five months old. Um, he had very poor balance growing up. He did not walk on his own until he was four years old. Uh, and, you know, along the way, right, challenges at every turn. Again, at the age of 21, he becomes the first person with Down syndrome to finish the Ironman triathlon. He is the picture of perseverance and character and hope. And so um, for this young man, we want to say thanks be to God. Um, he he is quoted in the New York Times piece as saying, I learned that there are no limits and don't put a lid on me. Um, when we are having life conversations and pro-life conversations and we're talking about the value of every life and the influence of every person, um, maybe this is someone whom the Lord would bring to mind the next time there is someone in your life who is um, considering uh, an abortion because they're uh, their unborn child um, has been diagnosed with Down syndrome. Let let Chris be an inspiration in the midst of that conversation. All right, and then we have talked about the SpaceX Dragon capsule um, as like a taxi ferrying astronauts to the International Space Station. Here's something that you may not know about astronaut Victor Glover. Um, Victor Glover, um, I think, well, let me, I, I know this about him. I know he's a Navy commander. I know he's a test pilot. I believe he's the first black crew member to take part in an extended stay on the International Space Station. So that would be an interesting conversation piece um, today as well. Um, It is important for us to continue to highlight and have conversations about things that are happening in the headline news, bring the gospel to bear on those conversations. And so how does the gospel bear on that conversation? 
Well, let's remember that at creation, at the cross, and in the kingdom, the color of our skin doesn't matter. We all stand on equal footing. Um, And so let's be people who continue to lift up um, the reality that, you know, racism only really works uh, from a naturalistic worldview. It doesn't work from a biblical worldview. Um, God just doesn't see it that way. All right. So helping us to uh, see things the way God sees them, our friend Justin Gibbony from the AND campaign. He's up next. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. Welcome back, sir. Hey, Carmen. Glad to be here as always. Yeah, it's a joy. It's a joy to have you. All right. So I follow you on Twitter and I saw a post um, from you asking these two questions. And so I will pose them both to you, but then we'll probably take them, I think, one at a time. Um, Here were the questions you posed. Will you, and you're addressing all of us out here in the American electorate, Will you hold Democrats accountable for the low-income housing crisis and the displacement of the poor in their districts? And will you hold Republicans accountable for the health care policies, or lack thereof, that result in shutting down hospitals in rural districts? I might not have quoted that one exactly. All right, so um, talk with us about that. Yeah, you know, where that comes from, Carmen, is we tend to blame everything on the other party, Mm -hmm. every single thing. I mean, you could have somebody who lives in Chicago, for instance, and they will blame Republicans for everything that goes on. But the truth of the matter is that state and that city have been run by Democrats for a long time. You could have somebody in in rural Alabama and they will blame Democrats for everything. But the truth is most of that has been run locally and, and, and statewide by Republicans. And so the point of that post was to say, will you hold your side accountable for things that you can't necessarily blame on the other side? Uh, what I'm trying to get people to see is that everything is not the other side's fault. And when we look at it that way, I think we really, uh, number one, don't hold our side accountable, but we, we really limit the solutions that we can get to and we, we overlook uh, things that are really affecting uh, people we care about. So, if I were to take those questions, there probably are people right now who are listening who actually aren't aware that there's a low-income housing crisis and a, an ongoing displacement of the poor in many of our urban centers. That is certainly happening in the city where I live, um, and, and there are Democrats in control of the government in the city where I live. Talk with me about how I hold those elected to office accountable for very specific um, challenges that are being faced in my community. How do do I functionally do that? Yeah, again, first of all, it's acknowledging that it's happening, Uh, acknowledging that it may be your party or someone, you know, or someone else who lives in uh, Minneapolis, it may be their uh, party's fault that it's happening. Uh, I think that's the first step. And then anytime you're holding a, a group accountable for something, you want to organize. It's hard to hold somebody accountable for something by yourself, just as an individual. So Carmen needs to either join a group that's already talking about the issue or get get with some people. And it doesn't have to be a huge group. It could be as many as, as five to 10 people who are committed and go up to city council and, and, and address the issue. 
Uh, but obviously, before you go to city council and address the issue, you want to make sure you understand the issue. So a big part of that is, is education, making sure you understand what's been going on and then start having conversations about it. See what's on the agenda. See if anyone's tried to do something about it. Uh, and, but you but you certainly need to address it. And, and again, it shouldn't be based just on partisanship. Yeah, exactly. And so let's take that to the second conversation. Let's say that um, I live in a, um, a Republican dominated state. And so because I think when we're talking about health care policies, we're probably talking about a, a layer up from my my most local um, community conversations. And so, you know, on the one level, we might be talking about going to city council. On another level, we might be talking about going and talking to a member of Congress. Right. So when you're talking about health care, you in many cases, you can talk to uh, the governor or the, the state government uh, because mm. the, the expansion of Medicare and things like that have been in the hands of of many Republican governors. But then, yeah, it's a, it can be a national issue, too. And the reason that I bring up Republicans there is that President Trump himself said that he was going to come up with a, a new health care plan, but never did. Uh, but yet we see that, you know, and I'm not saying that people have to like Obamacare. I think it has its issues. But the fact that uh, Republicans really just haven't come up, up with a solid alternative uh, is problematic. And so my point is not that you have to agree with the other side, but you have to realize that your side hasn't done everything they could do. And I think our politics just become more healthy if we're willing to critique both sides. And that, that's really what the point of the post was. I mean, we can get in. I, you know, those are two very important issues and we can get deeper into that. But the general understanding was that your your you know, your party has some faults, too, or hasn't done everything that they can do. And people are suffering because of it. You need to address that as well as what you think the other side is doing wrong. Yeah, and I wanted to start there with you, Justin, today, because I think that people have a tendency to talk a lot and then uh, and then not do anything. And um, I've become frustrated with that. And I want to um, I want to give people these I mean, just the tangible ideas that you've already noted, like, right, I need to acknowledge that it's happening. I need to get educated on it. I need to find out who's already organized around uh, the topic that that's of concern to me. I need to meet with them. I need to get further educated about what's already been done um, and what is being done, what's on the agenda for the city council, what is on the agenda at the state level. Um, you know, what what is the governor's office and the entities related to state government? What are they doing on this particular topic? Um, before I just take to social media and blather on and complain, like I have to be I have to take responsibility for the we, the people part of this system. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's just not enough to go on social media or anywhere else and just complain about the other side. And so much of our politics is is built on the narrative that the other side is wrong about everything. And if we just got rid of them, everything would be OK. But it's so far from the truth. You know, really, and I think I've talked about this before, we have a uh, opposition centered uh, view when it comes to politics, and it's really uh, hurting our, our discourse and, and policy making. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I am talking with uh, with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. We are talking around a range of topics, and when we come back, um, I'm going to pivot and ask uh, ask Justin to um, to just help us understand how we uh, might affect a Biden administration on things of concern to us. So taking it sort of up to the federal level. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. Justin, um, I'm, you know, I have concerns about what uh, might be included in the first 100 days agenda of a Biden administration. I'm wondering what on there is of concern to you and how we as Christians might affect a Biden administration um, on those on those particular fronts. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that the number one thing that worries me uh, that's in the 100 day and there, there are many things that I agree with in that in that kind of 100 day plan. But one of the things that worries me is uh, the Equality Act. Uh, and just so you know, the Equality Act uh, would put um, gender identity and sexual orientation on the same level as race and, and sex when it comes to uh, discrimination. And this would have a huge uh, effect on Christian institutions, especially uh, Christian colleges and hospitals, and put them in a situation where they're defending litigation to the extent where they may be taken out of you know existence. And we don't want that to happen. Um, and I really think when it comes to that, there just needs to be a larger debate. You know, this is one of those issues that had been has been decided by academics and the professional class, but has not really gone through the democratic process, has not really been discussed among uh, just your average voters. And, and it hasn't been brought to the traditional black church. It hasn't been discussed to the extent that it needs to. And that's just not the way that democracy should work. You know, the, the Equality Act is not a product of compromise or conversations or trying to find a way to make sure that we do give uh, our LGBTQ brothers um, basic civil rights. I think that's right. But it shouldn't go to the extent where we're completely uh, tearing down religious freedom. And because this it just isn't thoughtful legislation, uh, I think this is one of those instances where it's in the 100 day plan because they want to rush it through, not because it's something that needs to be moved immediately. It needs to be the product of a conversation. And the best way for us to do that is just speak, to speak on it, speak up on it, to organize, to send letters, to get leaders to start talking about this issue, because it's one that we should all be concerned about if we care about, you know, our hospitals and our colleges. Um, you you raise a, a, a wonderful um, point in the midst of that. And and my guess is you don't even recognize that you're raising a point. Um, when you say that the Equality Act um, is of concern in part because it's seeking to uh, create an equivalency between sexual orientation, gender identity, and race, um, and that that is a false equivalency. Can you explain that? Because I think that would be particularly helpful for people to understand. Yeah, I mean, for one, I think one is is an immutable characteristic. Others are dealing with with other things, but but the biggest issue is let's let's take an example. I think this illustration might be the best example. If you did not, if, you know, if I go to a hospital as a black man and I say, hey, hey I need surgery, and they say, no, I'm not going to give you surgery because you're black. I think that's very clearly the type of discrimination that we want to outlaw. However, Amen. if someone goes to a Christian hospital that is serving everybody and saving lives, uh, believers and non-believers alike, but they want to get um, sexual transition, some type of sexual transition or gen, you know, gender transition surgery, and they say, no, we don't do that. That's not the type of uh, discrimination, if you want to call it that, that most people would see as unlawful. That, that has something to do with, with that hospital's uh, principles, uh, with their Christian ethic and with their con convictions. And so that's not something that should be outlawed. Those are two very different instances, and they should be treated differently. Now, that doesn't mean that someone who is LGBTQ, um, uh, who identifies as LGBTQ, should be, you know, should be fired from their job at FedEx or should be stopped from getting housing. I think those things should be 
uh, uh, outlawed. And that's why things like the Fairness for All Act would be good. But we need that separation because there is a distinction that uh, should be recognized in our law. And that's where you're saying, you know, we just need a whole lot more conversation about this. I need to understand the nuances and differences, you know, present in the Equality Act versus the Fairness for All proposals that are out there. And 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 Christians could raise concerns about the Fairness for All uh, proposal as well. I mean, it's there's there's room here for a really robust conversation about where we go um, in terms of the, the protections of that are due every person, every person, regardless of what differentiates us from one another, um, and those things that are um, rights being created from the way that certain individuals feel right now about certain things. And feelings change, and we probably ought not to create laws that um, move entire institutions and cultures based on the feelings uh, of, I mean, that's that's a challenge that we face. And I'm, I can say it that way, and you're probably too diplomatic to say it that way, but there you go. All right. Um, can we talk about this phrase, demography is destiny? Um, can you comment on that phrase? Because I'm hearing it a lot right now. Exit polling is showing that, um, well, demography was not destiny, uh, at least for the Hispanic vote in some parts of the country. Talk about that phrase in terms of democratic uh, politics. Yeah, so for a long time, I think Democrats believed that as the country became more diverse, uh, the future would automatically be theirs, uh, that they would be able to hold African-Americans, Hispanics, and Asians, and as they held those constituencies, that they would automatically win the future. And, and uh, it's, it's becoming that that's not so simple. Uh, I'll be the first to say I, I don't think the Republican Party does a good job at all of, of outreach. I think they could do a much better job. But I think demographics as uh, uh, as you know, complete control of everything that's going on just was kind of shot down to some extent. Uh, by this last election, as you saw more Hispanics and, and African-Americans vote for uh, Republicans. Uh, I, I always thought that that was a lazy way to view things, that you should just assume that the future is going to be yours. The future should be yours if you have the best policy. But if you become lazy and you think it's automatically going to trend in your direction, then you may be slower to to make sure that you're meeting the needs and, and, and coming up with the best policies. What surprised you um what surprised you this year in terms of the election? Well, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by the way that I think vo voters were somewhat nuanced, that that not every voter was just voting a straight party ticket, uh, that they, you know, it looks like that there was a rejection of Trump and we can agree or disagree on whether that was a good thing. Um, but they also did not want to give the left a, a mandate just to do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, and so th that shows that the you know voters were thinking for themselves, that they weren't just being captured by partisanship. And that's always a, a pleasant thing to see for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a great way of saying it. I feel like the, you know, people went to the polls um, with a plan. Um, I think that's in evidence when people aren't just voting, you know, a straight party, um, you know, straight party ballot. Um, and I think that, you know, you're using the word nuanced. I would say it's just, it is evidence to me that people were not just paying attention to what was going on at the top of the ticket. They were really paying attention to how do I want to express my values in my vote. And um, I view that as a really, really positive uh, development. Also, the numbers, man, I'm just so glad so many people turned out to vote. Um, you know, I, we may agree or disagree on how people voted, but um, just I just am thrilled that so many people went to the polls. 
Yeah, more more people voting is a good thing. I think any efforts to kind of keep people out of the vote because they you think they might not vote for your party, you shot that down too because you never know how yeah. people are going to vote. So I think we should <laughs> all be for more voting. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Me too. Me too. Hey, uh, you live in Georgia. We're watching you. We got our eyes on you. We got our eyes on Georgia. <laughs> just letting you know. We'll talk right, about that we'll next time. Happens. How's that sound? All right. Thanks, man. Sounds All right. Good. That's Justin Giboney from the AND campaign. Uh, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. is upon us it starts a week from sunday do you have a plan and maybe you're saying to yourself oh i have been there and i have done that i have tilled the soil of the story of jesus's conception and birth more times than um than i care to recall okay then you need a new approach you need to be reinvited into um, the experience of advent and so it is tuesday and so it's Taste and See Tuesday. And so, all right, we're not going to actually like taste and see in the traditional sense. We're going to taste and see in the hmm, non-traditional sense. I've got Jan Johnson back. We're going to talk about her um, her advent. I would. It's not just a devotional. It's an experience. It's called Taste and See, Experiencing the Stories of Advent and Christmas. It's not new. It's been around for six or seven years, um, but it's excellent. It's excellent. So, Uh, Jan Johnson up next on this Taste and See Tuesday. Um, I've been reminded this past weekend about the power of doxology and spoken blessing. So if you are um, not driving, let me just speak a word of blessing over you right now. So maybe just close your eyes and just receive this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Words of blessing are powerful and we need them. We thought it'd be fun during this uh, Thanksgiving season, during, during the month of November, to just wrap up some blessings, bundle them together, and send them out to you. So uh, if you... Um, you know what? You just need a little tangible blessing. You're looking for a book uh, on generosity or a scripture journal, a gratitude postcard that you could turn around and send to somebody else with a word of blessing or encouragement. We're giving away blessing bundles this month. And so just go to MyFaithRadio.com, enter uh, the drawing for a blessing bundle, and just pass the blessings that you've received on to others. Jan Johnson is up next. She and I are going to talk about taste and see, experiencing the stories of Advent and Christmas. We'll be right back. You're going to regret it. I waved away the warning without turning around. What was to regret? I took the shortcut. This is Max Lakato. I was on my way to a picnic. The table sat on the other side of a marsh. The Parks Department had kindly constructed a bridge over the marsh, but who needed a bridge? I ventured in. The mud swallowed my feet. Squiggly things swam past me. I think I saw a set of eyeballs peering in my direction. I backpedaled, flip-flops sucked into the abyss. I exited, mud-covered, mosquito-bitten, and red-faced. I walked over and took my seat at the picnic table. 
made for a miserable picnic, but makes for an apt proverb. Life comes with voices, and voices lead to choices, and choices have consequences. This is Max Licato. Jan Johnson spends her time helping people taste and see that the Lord is good. You can check out what we're talking about today and lots of other resources at janjohnson.org. Jan, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Carmen. Well, it's a it's a joy to have you back. All right, so Taste and See is our little theme for Tuesdays. And so, you know, last week I had on uh, uh, the fryer who won some baking competition. Like, there's, I take it seriously, the actual, like, tasting part of the Taste and See. But your Advent devotional um, really caught my attention. I recognize it's not new, but it's so good. And it's entitled Taste and See, Experiencing the Stories of Advent and Christmas. So I wanted to highlight it here on a Taste and See. Tuesday. Um, Let's start with this. Um, Why is it important to, as Christians, to take advantage of seasons like Advent and Christmas um, to develop some intentional practices and maybe to establish some new rhythms in our spiritual life? Well, I think that they present unique opportunities of focus where we can enter into those events those real historical events, and consider that these people were just like you and me. And the things that happened to them changed them. And what might be our invitation today? But I think it also creates just this wonderful bonding with the story of Christ and with the people around it. I mean, Zachariah, what he went through, and Elizabeth, and just looking at all these different people, what it would have been like for Joseph's parents when he says, well, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm, yes, I'm going to marry her. I mean, think about these people. They were really like you and me. Did they have doubts? What was it like to trust? And I think it, it increases our understanding, but it also just bonds us with with Jesus more closely. The women um, are, I think, you know, really like easy for me to identify with these extraordinary stories um, that come with what uh, another friend of mine describes some of the problem pregnancies of the Bible. Um, These are some unusual pregnancy narratives that occur in the um, in the Advent story, not just Mary, but also Elizabeth. Um, There are, you know, these extraordinary life Versus, I mean, the the reality that in utero, John recognizes Jesus. I mean, he leaps in his mother's womb. Like there's this recognition of the reality of who Jesus is. Um, what we would say in our time, like fetus to fetus, like that's crazy talk. And so I do think that when you draw us in to the reality of what these people were experiencing and and the fact that they're real people having real experiences, that's different than just reading a flat narrative on a page. Um, And so part of what it feels like you're doing, Jan, is um, awakening us to the wonder of what's there, um, you know, from a flat story to the way you describe it, this... um, this movie meta, this movie model, this participative, 
participative meditation. I want you to talk about that. Well, it's important to think about if I were this person, how would it feel? And and I'm starting with Zachariah because he happens to be in the first session, but how would it feel to first of all be chosen to get to go into to the Holy of Holies, to get to do all of this, and then to have an angel appear to you to say something to you that is utterly impossible. I mean, just think about his heart must have stopped beating. And what was that like? And he asks his question, how can this be, um, basically? And, you know, that's a good question. Nicodemus asked that question. Um, And certain, you know, Mary kind of hinted at that. Well, okay, how can this be? But Zechariah was like, I don't, what? You know, this is physically impossible. And so Gabriel gives him this gift of, I think it's a gift of silence. I don't think it's a punishment because he had a lot to contemplate in those next months. And, And here he is, he's able to communicate to Elizabeth somehow this is this is what happened to me. This is what will name the child. And in those months of silence, it was almost like a retreat for him to be able to draw be drawn into this and how cool it was. And what was this like for Elizabeth? And for the people standing outside when he comes out and he starts making all those funny hand motions. This was really something. And to put ourselves in the place, how would we feel about that? Would we trust Zachariah? If we were watching him, how did it feel for him not to be trusted, for him to have to trust God no matter what? I think those are just such interesting things because, Carmen, you and I have those experiences where we we get a leading from God and not everybody gets it. And and so we just move forward and, and trust God. And and I just love all of that. I do, too. I do, too. So I'm talking with Jan Johnson. We're talking about a very different way of reading. Um, It is uh, meditative. It is imaginative. And we're going to talk about that when we come back. What um, What does it mean to use your imagination in a way that is holy, that is faithful to the Word of God? Um, And maybe what's one way that we could give our imagination a boost during this particular season of Advent. I'm going to ask Jan Johnson that up next. Continuing my conversation with Jan Johnson about her Advent devotional, Taste and See, Experiencing the Stories of Advent and Christmas. You can find it at janjohnson.org. Um, Jan, talk with us about reading differently, because that, that's a part of what's going on here. You're actually teaching us a different way to read and to employ imagination and meditation, which are both words that sound fishy. This is a very serious, I have a very serious interview approach, right? I'm just, I'm saying the honest thing. No, that's really good because part of what happens and what I did in, in Taste and See is I did a lot of study and good study fuels good meditation because we think of meditation as, whoa, 
she's really got off the, you know, whatever. <laughs> but you can use your imagination for God. Well, first of all, God wants your imagination, and it's so much better than letting the enemy have it. Um, and Jesus used it all the time. I mean, every parable could have started with, well, imagine this. Mm-hmm. So when we do this, good study fuels good imagination. For example, when we think about the shepherds, it helps us to know that shepherds were like the lowest of the low. These people stunk. And they were not, this was the last person the angel should have appeared to. And when they did appear to them, the angels were so sensitive because these these, these shepherds would have thought, I would never go, you know, they, I'm supposed to go and see this child. Well, I wouldn't be okay. Well, the angels say, you will find this babe in swaddling clothes. Now that's just bands of cloth. And what you know from study of the culture is that only poor people did that. And so that was a signal to the shepherds, you'll be welcome at this house. This isn't a big mansion. This isn't a big deal. You'll actually be welcomed by these people. These are people that will really get you. And to think about what that's like as God signals us and says, I really do want to partner with you. And we're like, me? You want me to step out and say something to this person? You want me to help, you know, ask this person if I can pray for them? Um, really? And and God's always signaling to us, yeah, I want to partner with you, even when we feel like so disqualified the way the shepherds would have been. And to imagine what that's like when they go. And, you know, for Mary and Joseph, who are these people? Um but they come and the joy that they would have had together and just those those guys wouldn't have smelled good. And, and all the different um, ages, there were probably young ones and old ones. And then I actually like to think about, um, and I have this in the book, I think about that situation 30 years later where Jesus is welcoming children. And you got to wonder, those shepherds, those young shepherds, they grew up to be men by then. How did they experience Jesus? When they ran into Jesus, they thought, is this the same? This is the same baby. This is the guy now. And I remember him. I remember his parents. And and just these were, we just forget. We've, we've made these images into like little um, flannel graph people, you know, moving across the board. And <laughs> these are these are real people that you and I would be, could be related to. And this was a big deal for them to be included in one of the most important events in the universe. So Jan, there are, you know, sometimes that uh, maybe I feel like my imagination needs a boost. You have a recommendation in here that I just love. And, and you guys, you should know, Taste and See, Experiencing the Stories of Advent and Christmas is really designed for small groups, but you could use it individually. And I'm even thinking that in this time of social distancing, you could gather a group of people um, via, you know, Zoom or on your Facebook page to interact together in doing this. Um, and so, you know, use your imagination in the way that you um, approach Advent this year and your small group study, uh, in addition to um, using your imagination in, in maybe ways that are new for you 
entering the story of Scripture and seeking to not just read it or remember it, but actually experience it. Again, the book is Taste and See, Experiencing the Stories of Advent and Christmas. Um, tell people what your your idea is here about, you know, ways to give your imagination a little boost. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I'm not sure what you're okay. thinking. Okay, so I, I know. So that's it. it's not fair because I've probably looked at this more recently than you have. Okay, so here was the idea, and I thought it was great. You suggested that I use um, the the movie, the Nativity Story, as a okay. way of like helping people get some um, right images in their mind, in, in order that then my imagination would have something to play with. Yes. I was wondering if that's where you were going, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> One of the coolest things about that movie is Mary's just this kid. And um, it's when the shepherds arrive, I think it is, or it could be when the wise men, they, they kind of look at each other like, we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Most of the time, they, they move through this and they really have no idea what's going on. and they're But they're trusting God. And they actually grow to trust each other. And I think that's really important to to know that trust is about that you don't always know what's going on. But you're taking the next step with Jesus. You're doing what you, you know is is the is the good and and just following instead of always just being so sure about everything. And then um Maybe as our uh, as our walk off here, because we're about out of time. I just love this, by the way. Can you just give people some of those daily guidelines for meditation? Those are good, you know, in season and out of season, not just during Advent. Well, it helps to be able to settle in and to be able to quiet yourself, to have a, a place that you usually do it. I mean, it just it just warms you up very easily to be able to do that and then to read it slowly in fact, if you if it's not too weird for wherever you happen to be situated, read it aloud slowly and pause and stop and think in the middle. Okay, what would this? What would I see, hear, taste, touch, and smell? What would have been the reactions of people around me? And this is just from logic. And then, of course, in the book, I provide loads of historical and cultural details. But to be able to be in a space to slow down. And really enter in, ask, start by just asking God to just help you because mm-hmm. the spirit really come alongside you and magnify the details of the text. I just love that. I love how you um, you bring it forward for us in a way that is faithful to the scripture. Um, and then and then also, though, allows me to experience it as the living word of God in real time, um, genuinely something that I can enter into uh, in order that I can better understand the experiences of those who lived it first, um, but also so that I can apply it in a way today that brings the story forward. I mean, I'm, I, we might be, you know, at some levels, both um, mesmerized by and bored of the Christmas narrative, but there's a whole lot of other people in the culture that have literally never heard the truth of it. And we get to be, you know, the people who walk that story out into the world during the season of Advent and Christmas. And so you've really equipped us to do that in a way that is um, this holy and good. And so thank you. Thank you. You are welcome. And, you know, I think it's important to always ask before you leave it, what is the invitation for me today? Mm. 
We'll leave it right there. Jan Johnson, Taste and See, Experiencing the Stories of Advent and Christmas. You can find Jan at janjohnson.org. Jan, thank you so much. You're welcome. We'll be right back. Okay, so at least one listener did not recognize the blessing that I um, spoke over you before that segment. It's directly drawn from Numbers chapter 5, verses 24 to 26. It's known as the um, Aaronic or priestly blessing of the Old Testament. And so that's why it uses the word Lord and not expressly the name of Jesus. Um, That would have not been a name on their lips uh, during during that season. So... May the Lord Jesus bless you and keep you. May the Lord Jesus make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord Jesus lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.